Wow, thank you. Thank you. It is really, really awesome for me to be here. We need to just do one, uh, one other thing by way of housekeeping. Adam, could you stand up? Because I feel like that shirt went largely underappreciated when he came up here, don't you? I like that shirt a lot. All right, sit down. Uh, yeah, thanks for, for having me here. It's Thanksgiving week. Thanksgiving is oftentimes for pastors, like this is, this is the best holiday for pastors. Uh, now, I know you wouldn't think that, but Thanksgiving is not like explicitly a church uh, Christian holiday, right? It doesn't necessarily have its roots there, you know, as compared to like Christmas or Easter, which are expressly church holidays. Uh, so they kind of come with their own level of work for pastors. But Thanksgiving, like it's just, it's always on Thursday. It doesn't necessarily, you know, there's not necessarily a lot of activity in the church around it. And so, you know, for pastors, it's the same as it is for you, right? Family, maybe, food, the food's awesome. The family's, you know, sometimes awesome, depending on your, uh, on your circumstance. So this is what I did this week. And I would challenge you maybe to just do this own thing, uh, the same thing on your free time. I decided in taking account of what I'm thankful for, rather than just say what we always say, right, like our family, uh, thankful to have a roof over my head, totally thankful for those things, I decided I was going to go through the photos on my phone, and that would tell the story of what I'm actually thankful for. And it turns out that besides my family, lots of pictures of Brandy and our kids, Micah, Hannah, and Ezra, uh, we brought Hannah and Ezra with us, uh, so some of you will remember them being, you know, Ezra was much smaller, Hannah was a little smaller, uh, but pretty close to the same size. Um, we brought them this time, lots of pictures of them, um, but, you know, I wanted to move past that and see what else I'm actually thankful for, and it turns out that I'm thankful for mascots. Who knew? Uh, I brought a few pictures. There's a picture of me with the Oregon duck. Uh, I don't know, that's probably three or four years ago. Uh, I think Pastor Chris Hansler was there with me for that event. Uh, I got a picture of myself with the Chick-fil-A cow. Uh, it turns out uh, there's actually four of them, Freedom, Freckles, Cat, and Molly. I actually went online to try and figure out which one is which, like how to tell them apart so I could figure out which one this was. Couldn't do it. Uh, if Max is here somewhere, maybe he could help me out. Uh, no, he's not here. Uh, I also have a picture of myself, and uh, Hannah's with me at this one. This is Spike the Gonzaga Bulldog, uh, maybe the only celebrity who lives in Spokane. Uh, I actually had no idea that I was going around taking my picture with mascots until I was looking through my photos feed. And I got to be honest, it's kind of weird. I mean, isn't that kind of weird for a grown man to go around and take his picture with mascots? You can say it. It's weird. Like, I'm going to stop doing that. Uh, it's just, it's a little bit strange. Uh, one of the other things that I saw a lot of pictures, you know, besides the immediate things, like, you know, like my family, like my immediate family, like I said, uh, I'm also thankful for my brother-in-law, Josh. Uh, Josh, I hope you're watching online. Uh, I'm thankful for you. This is me and Josh a couple years ago at uh, Brandy's grandparents' 60th wedding anniversary. Uh, we're, we're standing there waiting for them to drive up. Now, if you were driving up to your 60th wedding anniversary party, that's a good-looking reception crew right there. Don't they look enthusiastic? Uh, that's, that's me and my brother-in-law, Josh. Um, here's the thing. Okay, Josh is married to Brandy's younger sister, and uh, and... You know, Brandy's family, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on my in-laws a little bit. <clears throat> I do this often. Uh, Brandy's family are wonderful, amazing, sincerely incredible sweet people. Like, I'm not making that up. They, they really are. Uh, both Josh and I are extremely thankful for them. Here's what's different about their family as compared to my family. Holidays are loud, lengthy affairs for them. 
Like in my house, Thanksgiving, growing up, like it's football and turkey, right? Like that's kind of our thing. At their family gatherings, it's like um, family games, which involves the entire extended family, 40, 50 people sometimes, at maximum volume. And Thanksgiving starts like Wednesday afternoon and it goes till Sunday night. This is how they do it. And so, you know, they're just, they're amazing people. I'm just saying, when you married in, it takes a lot of social energy to do four days of Thanksgiving, right? Like, they're great people. Just a lot more outgoing than me. But Josh, when he came along, I was the only one married into the family for several years. But then Josh came along, and he is not loud and outgoing. And he doesn't take a lot of social energy. So, so now we can just, like, hunker down, right? Like, no brother-in-law left behind, you know? <laughs> So Thanksgiving happens, and, you know, it's like Friday, midday. We've been going for like 48 hours now, and I'm starting to fade. But Josh is right there to give me the halftime speech, you know, the little pick-me-up, right? Don't you quit on me. We're going to make it out of here, right? I got your back, man. And it just gives me a little pep talk, you know, just to carry on. So, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for my brother-in-law. We're a little small band of brothers. We, we stick together. Um, the meaning behind that story actually has nothing to do with where we're going, other than just to say I'm thankful for a lot of things, uh, including I'm really thankful for Pastor Dustin inviting me to be here. Uh, I didn't know Pastor Dustin. I, we had never met, actually, when he came here. We've had many interactions since then. Uh, but Brandy and I and our family, we have a longstanding relationship with this church. It's hard for us to believe it's been nine years uh, since we left here and went to Spokane to plant Center Church. And uh, it's kind of crazy because it still feels like, for us, like it was a couple months ago. And, uh, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty wild how quickly that's gone by. But I'm just really thankful that Pastor Justin would invite me to come and be here. And it really is a joy for me to serve him in his moment of need uh, by just not just filling in the spot, but also it's a joy for me to hopefully really encourage you today. That's my goal. If you get to the end and you're like, what was he trying to accomplish? My goal was to encourage you. Uh, so, so that I'm really thankful for. Uh, your friendship uh, means a lot to us. I'm truly, truly thankful for that. So uh, let me just give you a quick update. And I want to ask you a small favor. Uh, many of you I know, those of you I don't, I'm still asking you to do this. Uh, would you pray for us uh, at Center Church? Uh, we are in the process of negotiating a deal for a new facility that's a really big step for us and uh, potentially a new uh, a whole new season. Uh, it's, it's both exciting and stressful, but when I ask for you to pray, I'm like, I'm actually asking you to just pray for us, that God would accomplish what he has in mind, and I would be legitimately thankful for your prayers. Okay, so it's Thanksgiving week. Uh, we think we all know it's kind of become a commercialized holiday in America, uh, but when we think about Thanksgiving, we tend to think about the origin of it with the pilgrims. Uh, how about those people? Right? I mean, how amazing would it be to set out, speaking of family gatherings, like on the same boat with your in-laws for like three months to get to a new world and then live in the same cabin that, by the way, you had to build together. Uh, like this is just, this is extraordinary. These people are amazing. But did you know that Thanksgiving, giving thanks, actually is referred to, it's made mention of 102 times in the Old Testament. Actually goes back way before the pilgrims way before Jesus. I'm guessing you didn't know that because I didn't know that. I just did what all Bible scholars do, and I Googled it. 102 references in the Old Testament to giving thanks. So I want to try something together. 
shake you out of the you know, morning slumber. We're going to get in the holiday mood. I want to read something together. I want to read Psalm 100 together out loud. The whole chapter, don't worry, it's only five verses. But it is one of those Thanksgiving texts. So Donald's going to throw that up on the screen, and we're going to go for it. Let's just read it out loud together. Ready, set, go. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Aren't you thankful that God's faithfulness continues through all generations? Good job. Way to go. I tell people all the time, Celebration Church, that's a smart group of people. I tell, I tell them that. Everywhere I go, I, I always say that. Um, so this act of giving thanks goes all the way back, even all the way back to Adam and Eve, truthfully. We're designed to be thankful. It's an essential function if we want to live a joyful life as God intended for us. What about Thanksgiving as a national holiday? That was established first in 1779 when our first president, George Washington, gave his Thanksgiving Day proclamation. And I'd love to just read a portion of it to you. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible. He said this, whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and to humbly and humbly to implore his protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested to me to recommend to the people of the United States a public day of thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many favors of God Almighty. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November, next to be devoted by the people of these United States to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, or that will be, that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country. Isn't that awesome? That's so great. Uh, man, it's just awesome to remember our roots. And it's also important to just acknowledge and remember that all important holidays have a miracle in the beginning, right? Christmas, God comes into humanity, the, the virgin birth, the first Noel, the first Christmas, the Christmas miracle, Easter, the greatest miracle of all, Christ overcoming death on our behalf when he's raised from the dead, and Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving miracle, both houses of Congress agree. 1789 might have been the last time it happened, but it is possible. It is possible. Thanksgiving for us has changed, right? Since that day when George Washington declared it to be a day for gratitude to God, it's changed pretty quickly after the turkey's gone, right? A lot of us are going to start surfing around for the best deal on toys and electronics. Uh, might be easier this year because nobody has them, but, but it's a commercialized holiday. Thanksgiving for us right now at this stage in human history, given what we've all been through in the last year and a half, it's so critical for us, in my opinion, to recapture, to reignite 
our sense of gratitude, and here's why. Once in a while when I hear somebody say something smart or that I think might be important to me in the future, uh, I make a note of it. And I heard someone say this in passing one time, and this is why it's so important for each one of us to rekindle our sense of gratitude. Because when we practice gratitude, we train ourselves to see God's blessing. By practicing gratitude, we train ourselves to see God's blessing. Uh, have you ever met, met someone who, um, who had a lot, but they weren't grateful? Like, they were really entitled about it? They didn't see the blessing. They didn't see what they had because they didn't practice gratitude. By practicing gratitude, we train ourselves to see God's blessing. So when you practice being grateful, you start to discover more reasons to be grateful. In a sense, you could say that by practicing gratitude, you become more blessed, or at least you realize it more. You see it. I don't ever recall meeting a person who was sincerely full of joy that wasn't also grateful. By practicing gratitude, we train ourselves to see God's blessing. So uh, there's this really popular Thanksgiving verse. It's found in Luke 18. If you have your Bible with you or you're using a device, I'd encourage you to just dial that up right there, uh, Luke 17. And I just want to share this passage with you. Starting in verse 11, this is what it says. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As usual, Jesus is already messing with people. Uh, how's he doing that? He's traveling near Samaria. Now, there's a long history between the Jews and the Samaritans. We're not going to go into that. Just surmise it to say this, they hate each other. They, they don't get along. Most importantly to the story is that the Jews view the Samaritans as completely uh, unclean, which might not mean a lot to us, but in their day, uh, a culture of shame and honor. We kind of have a culture of have and have not. They had a culture of shame and honor. Uh, being unclean was about the worst thing you could possibly be. The Jews viewed the Samaritans as unclean and unworthy of being associated with in any day. And here's Jesus walking the line, apparently not going over the line, just getting up to the line to see what will happen, which is kind of funny in and of itself. As he was going into the village, 10 men who had leprosy came and met him. Now, there's only two kinds of people for the Jews at this time. There's only kind of two people that are worse than a Samaritan. The first is a leper, and the second, the worst of all, is a Samaritan leper. That's as bad as it gets, okay? In their day, here's the deal with leprosy. It was a death sentence, okay? Leprosy is um, it's highly contagious disease. So uh, the first signs of leprosy would be a loss of energy and pain in your joints. Does that sound troubling to anybody here? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, there's a good chance that I might have leprosy. Yeah, thankfully, it's been largely eradicated in our day. Uh, but it would get so much worse from there. Um, effectively, what would happen is uh, your skin would start to discolor and eventually start literally rotting on your body. Uh, and you would lose your sensation. Your nervous system would be attacked so you wouldn't feel it. Uh, you know, infections would happen to the point where people would often even lose digits and in some cases limbs would just fall off, but you, you wouldn't even feel it. I mean, you could obviously see it, but you wouldn't even feel it. So... Basically, your, your body would just literally decay while you're living. And because it was such a serious disease, 
understandably, they had very strict laws about it. If you were to read in Leviticus 13, uh, there is a very specific command regarding people with leprosy. This is what it says in Leviticus 13.45. It says, anyone with a leprous disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. Okay, I'm just going to sidestep some of the uh, political landmines that are in there that might be relative to our, uh, our current day and just focus on the original context. Leprosy is awful. It's as bad as it gets. It's probably the worst thing that could happen to a person. From the time you're diagnosed, you can never touch another human again. You don't go back and say goodbye to your family. You just leave. You're just, you're just cut off from all society. Add to that another ingredient that we don't really see in our context, but there's a moral quality. See, for them, they believed that disease was the result of sin. That's why you have this. So there, there's a moral quality there. So if someone is, was thought to have a disease, what they would do is they would go to the priest and the priest would examine them. Now, I think that's weird. If you think you might have a disease, don't come to me. Don't go, go to the doctor. Pastor Dustin is not the expert on whether or not you have the disease. But in their day, it makes sense, right, because of that moral quality. For them, disease was the result of sin. And if the, press, the priest determined them to be leprous, off they went. They were declared unclean and they were cut off from the community forever. So the, the best chance they had for a good life was to find a community of lepers and basically suffer out the rest of their days together. At least they were together. That's, that's the best life that a leper could possibly have lived. It's pretty heartbreaking stuff, actually. Pretty, pretty awful. So here you have Jesus, Jesus in a place no good Jewish man would go, and he's interacting with people that he certainly shouldn't be interacting with. The lepers come to him, probably shouting out, unclean, so that everyone can make sure to stay away. And as they approach, they stand at a distance. The original social distancing. There it is. It's in the Bible. They stand at a distance and they shout, verse 13, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now watch what happens. When they saw him, when he saw them, he said, Go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, if you're reading in your Bible, you might even just underline that phrase. As they went, they were cleansed. Now, showing themselves to the priest and having the priest declare them to be unclean, that's the way they get to reconnect with society. They, they don't get to go home until the priest says they're clean. Okay, they wouldn't get to go see their family. They have to be declared clean. Verse 15 says, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. That's how you know you're thankful for what God's done in your life, isn't it? You tell other people. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And oh, by the way, he was a Samaritan. It's interesting to me that it says they were healed as they went. Uh, I find it interesting because in my mind's eye, it kind of played out like this. Uh, Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. They went to the priest, and the priest said that they were clean. And then um, this one guy was, like, really thankful and went back and said, thank you. But it actually says, as they went, and then one of the guys, when he realized he was healed, he just turned around and went back. 
He didn't even make it to the priest. He just started shouting praise to God and immediately went back to Jesus. Now, that's, that's the essence of the story. Uh, good story. A lot of it doesn't necessarily make sense in our world, uh, but, but the story's not really helpful unless we apply it, okay? Unless we do something, unless we put it into action in our lives, okay? So let's just drop ourselves into this story. First thing we got to do is realize in this story, I'm not Jesus. You're not Jesus either. Uh, you know, a lot of times when we read the story, especially when it's like Jesus interacting with the Pharisees, you know, and they're just jerks, and we try to kind of put ourselves in the story, or we're not Jesus. We're usually the other guy. Okay, so if I'm in this story, and uh, I'm, I'm one of these 10 lepers, I'm probably not the one. I'm just going to be honest. I'm probably not the one. I'm probably one of the other nine. Okay, and here's why. Uh, I don't want to brag, but I'm pretty fast for a pastor. I mean, if you line me up with 100 of the other pastors I know, I think I could beat almost all of them in a foot race. You don't have to be that fast to do that. I think most of you could beat almost all of them in a foot race, so we're all fast. Uh, I mean, I'm no Jeff Melvard, but I'm pretty fast for a pastor. And uh, so here's what I'm thinking if I'm one of these 10 lepers. I'm looking around at the other guys, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm pretty fast for a leper. I think I can beat these guys to the priest. If Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest, I'm gone. And I'm, there's, I'm hoping to be the first one there, unless one of the other guys is Jeff Melvard. Then I'm hoping to be the second guy. Okay? But if Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest, you and I are probably thinking the same thing. Like, I'm just hauling it back to Temple Town to find me some priest. Because okay? I want to see my family. I want to see those people that were in my, my photos on my phone. That's, I got eyes on that prize. I want my life back. I'm going to do what those nine did if I'm just assessing myself honestly. And as I'm going, I might even be, able, be thinking to myself, you know, that was really cool of Jesus. That was really great that he came along and did that. But I'm still, as fast as I can, I'm still going to the priest. And I might even like, justify my relative lack of gratitude by saying, I'm just doing what he told me to do. And I'd be right about that. I might even, uh, I might even think, you know, when I get home, I'm going to have my daughter bake some cookies and we're going to take those back to Jesus. I'm probably grateful on some level, but I'm not stopping to go back and say thank you, if I'm, if I'm honest. Maybe later. But here's what this one guy did right, and this is the first point of application uh, that I just want you to make note of. Make thanksgiving about Jesus first. He was glad to be healed, and he knew he needed to get to the priest, but he made it about Jesus first. First and foremost, his thanks, his gratitude, this miracle that he received, it was about Jesus. Everybody else wanted the priest's blessing. But this guy goes, hey, you know what? The priest's blessing is pretty cool, but this guy, Jesus just did a literal miracle. I mean, I want the priest's blessing, but I think I'm actually more concerned about Jesus' blessing. He just did this miracle. If the priest could do the miracle, he would have came out and done it by now. This guy understands, hey, this Jesus, this is a big deal. Now, if you grew up in church, uh, as I did, um, you probably know what the Sunday school answer is, right? It's sort of a joke in, in church that, like, the answer to every question is Jesus. What I've found happens quite often is that 
uh, when I'm in a dilemma or I have a question, I think to myself, you know, I don't want to give the Sunday school answer, but I'm pretty sure it's the Sunday school answer, right? Like the Sunday school answer didn't just accidentally become the Sunday school answer. Jesus really is the answer. If you want to know what you have to be thankful for, first, Jesus. Underneath everything else, that's the foundation. Make it about Jesus first. Now, I mentioned this connection earlier between gratitude and seeing God's blessing. So watch what happens right here. Verse 15 said, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he's, he's looking at it, okay? He came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. How did he see that he was healed? The answer is he looked, right? He, he looked. He physically saw that he was healing. He was looking for it. Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. I'm, I'm healing you. And he was looking for that healing. Next verse, verse 17, it says, Jesus asked him when he got back, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. He put his faith, his hope, his trust in Jesus. He believed what Jesus was saying. Go show yourself to the priest. I'm healing you. He believed what Jesus was saying, and he believed what Jesus was doing. And when he believed that Jesus was healing him and providing for his need, because he believed it, he was looking for it. He has eyes open to see it. When we practice gratitude, we train ourselves to see God's blessing. When we're, when we're looking by faith from a heart of gratitude, what we see is the ways that God is blessing us. So what happens when you have a grateful heart and you see God do, do a blessing in your life? Well, it makes you more grateful. And what happens when you become more grateful? You train yourself to see more blessings. And what happens when you see more blessings? You become more grateful. Like you see how this cycle works. And that's really the second application that I, I just want to encourage you with is that if you're not looking for reasons to be grateful, start. Start looking for reasons to be grateful because gratitude begets gratitude begets more blessing. We, we see it more. We see the ways that God has blessed us. So here you have these 10 men that are, that are lepers. The leper colonies like this were common in their day. Uh, surely these 10 weren't the only ones. Um, surely there were more. But for whatever reason, these 10 particular lepers, they sought Jesus out, and all 10 of them received their healing. Now, presumably, I think it's reasonable to probably guess that all 10 of them had some level of gratitude. Uh, maybe not enough to make them stop in the middle of the journey and go back, but surely they were all grateful on some level, but only one of them took action on his gratitude. And I think it's important that the one who turned around was a Samaritan. The worst type of outcast was the one who received the best type of blessing. Jesus said, your faith has made you well. If, you're, if you have your Bible handy, maybe just circle that word, well. The word right there, the Greek word that is translated well, some versions might say whole, is the Greek word sozo. I'm probably not pronouncing that right, S-O-Z-O. -O. It means more than just 
healed. It means to save, to heal, to rescue, to make whole, to restore. Clean is good. Sozo is better. Made whole, made new, restored, rescued, saved from your infirmity. I think the significance of him being a Samaritan is this. Nobody gets to say, not me. Nobody gets to say, God doesn't want me. I've gone too far. I'm too much of a mess. Nobody gets to say that. He does want you. If that's what you're thinking, and I know that many people do feel that way, that's not the case. He does want you. That's the point of Jesus engaging the lowest type of outcast is that he does want you. He wants all of us, no matter where we're at on the social spectrum. Maybe you or maybe someone that you're going to see this week at Thanksgiving, maybe you or them have been keeping a distance from God and thinking, yeah, I'm just not religious or I don't want to go, you know, be a part of a church because I don't, I don't want people to judge me or, you know, I mean, I know I just got a mess of stuff and I just don't want to deal with it. And so we stay away. We keep a distance from God. Here's the great thing about following Jesus. It's not a religion. Following Jesus is when we simply say, okay, God, I relinquish my control of the universe to you. You can go ahead and take over. You be God and I'll be me. We'll do things your way. I heard this quote from, from a really old-time preacher. I can't even remember his name off the top of my head now. Surely someone will get it for me. He said the best thing. Totally cracked me up, but also convicted me. He said, this is God's universe, and he's doing things his way. Probably have a better way, but you don't have a universe. Isn't that great? God wants you. And you might look at yourself and think, I cannot even imagine why he would, but he's doing things his way. And he does. That's the best news there is. I'm so thankful for that. See, in Jesus' day, the religious leaders heaped obligatory burdens onto people. But then Jesus comes along and says, you know what? Just follow me. I'll be perfect for you so you don't have to. I'll be perfect for you so you can be saved by grace. So what I'm saying to you, whether you're in the room or you're watching online, is if you're far off, if you're far away from God, just just turn around. Just turn around and come back. He does want you. The, the, the belief, the idea that God doesn't want you is impossible to reconcile with what the Bible says. It says the exact opposite of that. All they had to do in the story was come to Jesus and ask him for what they needed, healing, forgiveness, restoration, and he gave them a new start. And if you need a new start, you can have that. If you need a new start for the 10,000th time, you can have that in Christ. In just a few minutes, we're going to pray uh, together. And if you need a new start, or if you're thinking of someone who does need a new start, just turn around and come back to Jesus. Just encourage them to turn around and come back to Jesus. What I am just so encouraged by in this particular story, these, the healing of these lepers, is that their healing wasn't predicated on their behavior. It wasn't predicated on their ethnicity. It wasn't predicated on their socioeconomic status. What was it predicated on? It was predicated on the grace of God in Christ. That's, that's the common ground. Maybe you've heard the, the saying, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Like no one has a special position there. 
okay? It wasn't predicated on any of that. He probably even knew that only one of them was going to be thankful enough to turn around and come back, but he healed them all anyway. And isn't it interesting that the one who was the worst off was the most thankful? Isn't that interesting? So here's what I want to ask you in observation of this particular situation. Okay, the observation is that when this Samaritan reflected, when he saw what Jesus had done for him, as we are going to likely reflect uh, on what God has done in our own lives this week, this Thanksgiving week, when he saw what Jesus had done for him, his gratitude produced an action. He turned to thank and worship God. That was his response. So as you reflect on all the reasons that you have to be grateful, uh, wouldn't it be weird if you had pictures of yourself with mascots? Uh, in your phone, as you reflect on the things that you're apparently grateful for, what will you do in response? What will your response to that be? The one who returned, okay, the one who saw, who reflected on what was happening and responded with action, what will your action be? At Thanksgiving, we reflect, we see uh, the ways that God has blessed us, that he's been good, but a reflection is just not that helpful unless it produces some kind of change in our lives, right? Uh, when I lived here, when, when I was on staff here at this church, uh, I was in my early 30s, and somehow, accidentally, I had just drifted into the worst physical condition of my life. I don't know how that happened, uh, probably by taking no action, but I had to make a choice to take action in response, okay? Uh, you remember James, the, the brother of Jesus? He said, faith by itself if not accompanied with action, is dead, okay? Gratitude without action is not helpful. So what will you do now that you're thankful? Okay, now, not to worry. This isn't the part where I, you know, ask for money or rail against consumerism or materialism. I'll be honest, Brandy and I, we will spend more on Christmas this year than we've ever spent. Uh, in fact, we probably already have, and we still got a month to go. And um, that's largely because we've, reach this stage of life, praise God, uh, where uh, we just have more than we've ever had. We have more stability and more resources at our disposal than we've ever had. Now, I'm, I'm just making that disclosure to you, like that's kind of a personal detail. Uh, we have so much to be grateful for, and what that's doing to me is it's causing me to ask the question, what am I going to do with this blessing? It's an important question to ask because something's going to happen with it. It just seems to me that if I view it as an entitlement, something I earned, something I worked for, that will produce a particular type of response, will it not? But it also seems to me that if I view it as God's blessing, that should produce a different type of response from me. So maybe a good question is, as I'm receiving God's blessing, am I giving God's blessing? Am I being an ambassador for Christ with what I do have, whether that's in your life, whether that's time or finances or encouragement or hospitality? As I'm receiving and enjoying God's blessing, am I giving and being a blessing? Uh, my family used to do normal Thanksgiving stuff. When I was a kid, uh, we ate turkey and watched football and I'm, we're thankful, apparently. <laughs> we, did, we did normal Thanksgiving stuff. Um, but, but somewhere along the way, my family Thanksgiving got weird. Um, because about 15 years ago, my parents 
for whatever reason, I think in response to what God had done in their own lives and, and what he had brought them out of, they started to do things like inviting total strangers to Thanksgiving. Uh, like, it's pretty normal for me to show up at a family holiday and not know half the people there. Sometimes, like this is where it gets really weird, uh, sometimes, like, we don't even speak the same language. Sometimes they'll even invite people that they don't speak the same language. There were just people there. One time, I kid you not, one time at a holiday celebration at my parents' house, there was a group of guys from North Sudan who built an open pit fire and cooked a whole goat in the backyard. This is the kind of things that happen. Like, I couldn't even tell you how many people have lived in my old bedroom since I moved out 25 years ago. I don't, I don't even know. Okay? I think that's the kind of thing that can happen when you view what you have as a blessing, not as an entitlement. Now, I'll admit it's an extreme type of grateful, right? It's, a, it's an extreme type of gratitude um, to enjoy like that. But here's my point. Gratitude and seeing the blessings that God has put in our life, it produces a whole new type of actionable gratitude in our lives. I, I hope that's a little convicting to you. I mean, I want you to invite me back. I want you to be encouraged, uh, but it's convicting to me. This is what God has been working in my heart. Now, the idea of inviting, you know, total strangers who are lonely and marginalized in your home, like that, that's probably a big leap from where most of us live today. I'm not suggesting that. But I am asking, how will you put your gratitude into action? It doesn't have to be extreme steps. What small thing will you do in grateful response to Jesus? What's a small thing you can do? You know, as Americans, we think big is good, small is lame. That's, that's how we tend to think. But, but Jesus didn't see it that way at all. He said, whatever you do for the least of these, even if you just give them a drink of water, if you do it in my name, you did it for me. It's a little thing, I got a, I got a sticky phrase for that. Tiny greatness is what I like to call it. Just doing small things done in Jesus' name bring great glory to God. How will you put your gratitude into action? I want to ask the musicians if they would just uh, come back because I, 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 think, I think we just want to, before we go, just take a few minutes to... Just reflect. Just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Uh, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm so grateful for this church. Nine years on, we still miss you. We still miss this community, and um, this, is, this is such a sacred place for us. We're very grateful to be here today. But I'll be honest, each time that I come, I have this one little thought. I, I think, I wonder when the next time I'll come is, or will there be a next time? Like, I just... Who knows what the future will hold? Like, I never know, is this the last time that I'll be able to come and share with you? I hope not, but you never know. And so that's why I never want to leave without reminding you of something, that Jesus is a qualifier, not a disqualifier. Jesus came to qualify you. He came to qualify the people you love. He didn't come to disqualify them. God sent his son into the world to count you in not to count you out. Aren't you thankful for that? I got plenty of reasons of my own to be counted out, but Jesus came so I could be counted in. I just want to remind you that in Christ, God didn't just move you from bad to good. He moved you from dead to alive. That in Christ, you move, according to Ephesians 2, 
from being the object of God's wrath to being the object of God's mercy. And you don't have to be perfect because Jesus has already paid the bill in full. You don't have to be perfect to be made well, to be made sozo, to be rescued, to be saved, to be made whole. You only need to come to Jesus. So I'm going to ask you if, you, if you can, where you're at, if you just stand with me. Um, you know, once we put our faith in Christ and we receive God's mercy, Ephesians 2 also tells us that we get this privilege of spending the rest of our lives living out the good plans that God has for us. By faith in Christ, we're made whole. And so I just want to pray a prayer of gratitude, and I just want to say, if you need to turn around and come to Jesus, in the room, online, maybe you're watching this video 10 years from now, providence of God, he's ready for you. Just turn around and say yes to Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that when you look at us through your son, your most immediate thought is unconditional love and mercy. God, I thank you that according to your word, Psalm 23, that in Christ, your goodness and mercy will follow us every day of our lives. And someday, when this is all over, we're going to spend every Thanksgiving for all eternity in your house, and we're going to dwell with you there forever. So God, we just want to acknowledge this Thanksgiving weekend, our gratitude that you see us as we are, and your response was to send your son into the world to be a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And so we say yes to Jesus today from a place of gratitude. We pray your blessing. God, we pray that you be glorified in the way that we celebrate this week through your son. Amen.